Welcome to That Old Chestnut. I'm Lori Roggenkamp with you and joining us as always is my sounding board, Joe yeah. Batanz. Hi everyone. As I so nicely put it. Uh, uh, we are going to be talking about some uh, some random shiz today. Well, we what was the thing that you wanted me to talk about? It's so funny. I was just going to ask you. you were, we were talking about stand-up. It was oh, something Ari about... Shafir. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, the big issue, in my opinion, has always been with stand-ups. One of the bigger issues that I feel like is sort of a non-issue is people stealing jokes. Um, Jay Moore had a podcast one time, and I will say that it was pretty, you know, nondescript. Like, it was kind of a boring podcast. He would go off on, like, 45 million tangents, Mm -hmm. which, you know, as a professional like me, that's frustrating. Um, But he, one of the things I I really liked that he said was that he was like, if you're worried about, if your career is based off one joke, then you don't have a career. And I feel like that's true. I feel like, look, I don't think anybody should steal, but I feel like if you're really worried about people stealing your jokes, then I feel like you're, you know, you're worried about the wrong things. Yeah. Um, and I think that especially guys were like super, like anytime you talked about anything remotely revolving around what their set was, you would have people. I'm, I, I think I've ta- told this before, but I one time had a guy come up to me and say, I had a bit. And I, I think I've, I've done this before, but I'll do it again. I had a bit where I used to say that I suck at leaving voicemails. So I would say like, oh, I, you know, I write. And this was when voicemails were, you know, popular. And I would write, I go, I, I'll write out what I want to say. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as the beep comes, I just forget. I just go blank. And so it'll be like, you know, I want to leave a, a voicemail for a job interview that I just had because it's actually kind it was something remotely like this happened to me where I was about to, I was leaving a voicemail for this guy who I had a job interview with and the voicemail was so bad and you know at the time you couldn't do that thing where you like repeat it so you just sort of had to let it go and I was just like well I didn't get this job mm-hmm. and so essentially like the thing was like oh it was beep and I'm like oh hi Mr. you know Mr. Robertson thank you so much for letting me uh, interview with you today. I had a really great time. You're a very attractive looking man. I mean, you're not like, it's not like I find you sexually attractive or anything. Uh, I'm gay. So I don't find men sexually attractive and I don't find you sexually attractive. I mean, it's not that I don't find you sexually attractive. You're a very, you're an attractive looking man. I'm just not into bald guys. I mean, it's not that I'm not into bald guys. It's like, you know, me being the gay thing that I said earlier, you know, it's like, um, I just don't, I, I like more hair on their head and then not on the rest of their body because, you know, and like, so I just went from there where I just kind of like made it worse and worse and worse. And, uh, and to the end where I was just like, all right, thanks. Bye. Um, and so the bit never really like took off in the way that I wanted it to. So I didn't keep it, but there was a guy one time I did the bit and he came up to me right after the show. He's like, you cannot do that bit anymore. And I was like, why? And he goes, cause people are going to think you stole that bit from the movie swingers. And I was like, "What?" He goes, "Yeah, there's a there's a scene in Swingers, the movie with yeah, um, it's a very famous scene, but okay, John Favreau." And he goes, "And um, people are going to think that you took that bit." Now, mind you, this is like, I want to say, this is like 2012. Mm-hmm. 
2013. Or it could be 2010. This is like between 2010 and 2012. Spend more time coming up with the exact year, Lori. We need to know. It's like October Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, 15th, 2010. But what I mean is like Swingers has been out for a while. Okay? Mm -hmm. And first off, I've never seen that movie. So I don't know anything about that movie. Good movie. And I was like, who gives a shit? Like, who gives a shit if it's similar to a bit that was done in a movie that was done years earlier? I just thought it was so stupid. Mm -hmm. So I used to have... um, So people would do that all the time. And I would say I've become victim to it, too, where I one time this guy, Grant, actually, I think you know... Grant Cotter? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. He did a bit where he talked about how he was like... Oh, my girlfriend likes to drink. It was like something about his girlfriend liking to drink tequila. I don't remember the the joke of it. But a friend of mine that I know that I had just done a show with, he did a similar bit, but it was like his girlfriend likes to drink vodka. And I remember walking up to Grant and saying, hey, just want to let you know this guy does this bit where he likes to, his girlfriend likes to drink vodka. So I wouldn't maybe do that bit anymore. And he was like, eh, I don't care. And I just felt like, oh, that's the response I should have. Because it's yeah. like, who gives a shit? Um, Ari Shafir used to be well-known for, like, let's say you were at the comedy store or any show that he was at. And let's say you were doing a bit. Like, you do that bit where you have, you know, the guy, straight guys who fight, they get gayer oh my as God, they I fight. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yes. So let's say you have that, okay? Yeah. So... Ari Shafir would walk up to you and say, hey, man, um, that, that, that bit was funny. But I do a bit where I talk about how I get when I get upset, I turn into a woman. And so I would appreciate if you wouldn't do that bit anymore because I do my bit and I've been doing it for like a couple of years. But then it, and then it started getting like more and more generic where I remember one time my friend Aristotle was doing a show and the guy walked up to him and said, hey, man. You did a joke about being raised by a single mom. I have a jokes about being about my mom. If you could just not do your jokes. And it was like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? Like, it was one of those things where it was like, this is so generic. Like, people are going to do bits. It's, I mean, there is, I think there is an argument to say that essentially all the ideas have been taken. You know, like, there's really not that many ideas out there. Mm -hmm. So... Whatever your idea is, it's just what your personal spin on it is. And I just I just think it's so dumb that people are so worried about what the other person's doing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So that was it. Um, Ari Shafir, people don't know, is this comic. He's, every time I hear, anytime I hear Ari Shafir in the news or anywhere he's out there, it's always for something annoying. Yeah, he just got lambasted because I guess he does this thing where... Whenever some a celebrity dies, he make quote unquote makes fun of him, mm-hmm. and he did that for Kobe Bryant. He was oh, like, yeah. he did this whole thing. So I guess his the comedy club that was ha- having him that week that following weekend was getting like death threats and stuff. Well, so. don't you remember when there was a big to do? Haley's mom said he gets naked a lot. He does. Well, all those guys. I mean, Bert, Bert Kreischer. All those guys just love taking their. Yeah, he gets. He used to get naked a lot. All those guys love to take off their clothes and show their penises and stuff. I think it's a way of like kind of forcing people to look at their stuff you know body because not many people want to look at their That's body. That's true. You know what sucks though is I bet you he has a big penis. Let me look it up. 
I don't know. He looks like somebody. In other words, I bet you he does because you're right. He's so unattractive in so many ways that he goes, well, he's have a big penis, you know? I have a feeling he's like one of those guys who, if he did have a big penis, he would talk about it because I think he's one of those guys who would be upset that he he has a big penis because it's like, no, a lot, not a lot, a lot of men and women look at me and they don't think I have a big penis, but I have a huge penis, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think we would know if he had a big Does penis. Does he have a bit like that? I don't know. He I- did a bit one time where he took, he, he like showed his penis. And he got kicked out of off a show. But I will say that it, I don't, I agree with him in that scenario because so there used to be a show called The Dirty Show. Mm-hmm. Did you ever go do that show? I think it was on the one with Sam Improv. Tripoli. What? what? The one with Sam Tripoli? Who I used to f- run that? Uh, I know Frank Robnett. I think Frank, Frank Robnett did that show? No, no, no. Corey and Chad, the, the twins. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. I think Frank Robnett did it a couple of times. That's how I remember it. But it was like, it was a dirty show, but it was a fun show to do because you just would just be super dirty. I can, I never really got to do the show because I'm just not generally like, I mean, it's like a dirty, dirty show. So it's like uh-huh. you go on there and you like, like people would go on there. And one woman went on there and she had like, she like fucked herself with a dildo on uh-huh. stage. And it's just seeing how dirty you can be. Right. Yeah. So Ari Shafir went on there and he showed his penis on stage and it was relatively bland, to be honest with you. It was, mm-hmm. he did a bit, I forgot what the bit was, but at the end of it, the lights go off and then they turn it back on and he shows his penis. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the, whoever was running the, the show wasn't the normal like manager for that night and was so offended that this guy shows his penis mm-hmm. that she was like, I never want them performing at my, at, at the improv again. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was kind of like, I was like, lady, it's called the dirty show. Yeah. Like it's, and, and also it's like, to me, it's, it's like, well, the people who run, usually run the show should have let her know, should have been like, Hey, heads up. Like women, you know, screw, put dildos in their vaginas on stage and mm-hmm. guys get their dick sucked on stage. So, you know, it's like, what? it's one of those things where, yeah, it's crazy. The, at Barney's, they used to, you know, so everyone needs to know my the phrase of the year. People should know um, that there are comics that are like really well known among comedians or very respected, but that no one else has ever heard of. And I would run into these comics at Barney's a lot because they would do the show. And there's yeah. one guy. There's a couple of them. Um, what's funny is I was going to out this guy for saying this, but I realized it wasn't him. Uh, one of those guys named Kirk Fox. It wasn't him though. J- oh, it was Jason Tebow. Okay, oh, I I think, is it Justin or Jason Tebow? Right, where like he's another one that all the comics knew who he was, and they're like, oh, it's Jason Tebow or Kirk Fox, another one like that. And Jason Tebow would just whip his dick out on stage at Barney's. Like, really? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know what the bit that was. was a big thing though there yeah. was there were a lot of guys who would just whip their that was a big joke was mm-hmm. like to be like oh like um you know uh so i you know i, I show the waitress the tip and then they'd whip their dick out yeah. or something mm-hmm. and then it, people would be like ha 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 there was a big i think there was like in the early 2000s there was like a big thing where like shocking was funny but then yeah. it kind of people started realizing that no shocking is just shocking uh-huh like funny is actual jokes and humor. 
So I think it, it got old real quick, but for a hot minute, it was like seeing how crazy you could get. Um, yeah. I did a show one time mm-hmm. where Burt Kreischer, he didn't show, they didn't show it, but uh-huh. they went behind like a curtain, you know, the curtains at like the Bray Improv yeah. and they pulled their dicks out. He took a guy on stage and they pulled their dicks out and they measured their dick. They like put them side by side to see whose dick was bigger. Uh huh. And that they did that kind of stuff, and it was like that was like a that was like taboo. But they didn't show it; they just like went behind a curtain and did it. Um, but yeah, I I never like. I think the thing that there are people look don't get me wrong. There are people out there who who say that they don't work a certain way. They're like, oh, I don't work blue, or I don't do this, or I you know, mm-hmm. which I'm like, that's fine. I personally, it's not that I don't do something. It's just that I don't. I can never find the humor for it. So I just don't do it. You know, like I never could be blue too blue because I'm just not, it's just, I just can never think of any jokes. Yeah. If I could think of political jokes, I would do them in a heartbeat, but I just Mm -hmm. can never really think of any. So I just, that's, that's how I am. So it's like, yeah, I sort of feel with uh, topical uh, or political humor. Well, first of all, let's talk about political humor. It's my theory that, um, like, in other words, I probably, you know what's so funny is I could probably do political humor. I'll tell you why. There's a couple uh-huh. of, there's a couple well, of, I would start with humor <laughs> and then work your way. There's a couple of things you need. What's funny, and I think this is why it, 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 it only works for a few people, is, first of all, you need to have done comedy for a while, which I haven't, I haven't done in a while, so maybe I couldn't do it, but I'm just saying, you have to have the comedy chops, but yeah. the problem is you have to be older uh you'll have to know how joke structure works i feel like i feel like a lot of new people don't know how joke structure works. well i think that that goes to what i was going to say is topical or political humor you need joke structure more than anything because you need the 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 good and bad side of it is you don't you're never going to be at a want for material you're always going to have a lot of material right you're not gonna be going yeah what what, what about pens right you're always going to have material but you have to be a fast joke writer and you have to be always changing in other words like it's well known and people even on discord who aren't comedians probably know this that jay leno has like i think maybe two full sets of jokes that he's never done on television ever and he's still in the 70s, right? And he still does those sets whenever he does corporate gigs, right? Yeah. He's never done them. None, none of the jokes have ever been on television. Uh, there are those guys where they just do the same set over and over for years and years and years and years and years and years, right? Yeah, yeah. I think Richard Jenny used to have like two or three like 90-minute sets that he never did, right? Anyway, so uh, – but then with top, you – you won't have that luxury that you do when you have political humor – but you'll never have to – if you get good at it, you're never going to uh, – A, there's a couple of good things about it. A, you're never going to um, run out of material. Yeah. Ba- but on the bad side, you're going to always – you're constantly going to be writing material. But here's the deal. It's, it's probably one of the few parts of comedy where the older you get, the better you'll get. Yeah. Well, the only issue is, is though, is that if you, it's not nothing's ever evergreen. So there's nothing you can yes, write that will evergreen. be in the anthol. You're right. You know, anthology. You're right. You're right. Very good point. You're right. You're right. That's a very good point. You're never. You'll make a career, but you'll never. You're right. As soon as you die, people will have forgotten all your jokes. Yeah, like Mort Saul. If people don't know who Mort Saul was, Mort Saul was like this legendary. Probably like the. Um, the fucking like uh, Richard Pryor of political comedians, right? 
Yeah. But yeah, he just disappeared once he, especially, like, does anybody know Mort Saul jokes, you know? So, like, the old, <laughs> you're right, it's a very good point. But, uh, but anyway, like, and that's why I think, like, if, look at Bill Maher's comedy from the 80s and stuff like It's shit. It's shit. It's awful, right? He, he, Bill Maher was never a good comedian, right? It wasn't until he hit his mid to late 30s and he started doing political stuff. It's still not funny, but people started to take him seriously. Because he was old. Once you get older, people start to take your opinion seriously. How did we get yeah. on this? What? Sorry. How did we get on this? I think we were just talking about joke structure. Well, I think I think jokes. Like one of the things I notice about late night because I watch. Uh, so I'll watch clips on YouTube of Jimmy Kimmel, Stephen mm-hmm. Colbert, Seth Meyers, and then I'll sometimes watch. Daily Show Trevor Noah, although yeah. I don't, I'm not a fan of his. I don't like the way he delivers jokes. I yeah. feel like it, the way he delivers jokes to me seems like he's reading them for the first time, mm-hmm. and Probably he's is. getting through it. Like it's like we're we're listening. You know when you like when somebody like reads something to you for the first time, and they're like, oh, and then oh wait, sorry, oh and the, you know, and it's like, ugh, I feel like I'm slogging with him, and I'm like, eh, I want like a joke. Delivery. I've only seen clips of Trevor Noah, so take my opinion with a grain of salt. Like literally, the day John Stewart left, I never watched the Daily Show again. But I didn't. Uh, to be honest with you, I never really liked John Stewart. I always felt like I think the Daily Show is made from the correspondence. Oh, really? I loved John Stewart. Oh no, no, no! I was no. not a John fan St- of his. I mean, I thought he was. I thought he was passable, but I was never like, oh, he's he's amazing. Oh, you, you know. Okay, hold on. We can have a big debate about this. Is I think that John Stewart. The, the point I was going to make, actually, the point I was going to make is the difference between Trevor Noah and John Stewart. And I've only seen Trevor Noah in clips, so again, take my opinion with a grain of salt. But from what I've seen, is that John Stewart, when he was, even though a bunch of people wrote his stuff, you could tell he was very heavily editing it. And that this was essentially his editorial opinion, okay, written by other people that he refined, and but it was you got to say a very like that John Stewart's opinion was intrinsically tied in with the opinion of the show, okay? Yeah. Trevor Noah just seems like any late night host who's just delivering the jokes written on. It doesn't seem like he's as connected to it as what John Stewart was, right? And yeah. I and, and I'll kind of give you this because I I watched John Stewart on Daily Show for years and years and years. I'm talking like early 2000s. It's funny when I see clips. I'm like, I was watching it then. I can't believe it. I would never miss it. Okay. Uh huh. And I used to get frustrated. I used to have a big complaint about John Stewart in the early days, actually. Because at first, I, I, I this is why maybe we should give Trevor Noah a shot. Is I feel Trevor Noah is. Ex- Doing the same thing that John Stewart used to kind of do in the early days, which is John Stewart was sort of like that, just basically reading jokes from the screen, right? Yeah. And then when he first started to dip his toe into like really being political and editorial, and he had a politician on, and he so and he would make these like he would dip his he would basically dip his toe in the water and make this like serious accusation, and the politician would push back. And John Stewart would be like, well, d- d- don't take me seriously. I'm just a comedian. I just tell dumb fart jokes on here, right? And would back away. And that used to get me so frustrated in, in a way that I would be like, no, you can't fucking do that. If you're going to make the joke, if you're going to make the accusation, stand by it. Don't then run and hide behind yeah. it, right? 
But then as he got older and people started taking him more seriously and he realized he had people on his side, once he realized that, I would say probably around 2006, 2007, okay? Uh-huh. Once he got that in him, I don't think there was anyone more brilliant. Once he had the balls to stand up for what he truly believed in and really, it, that crossfire segment, that legendary crossfire segment. Uh, did you ever see that? Oh, the one with um, Tucker Carlson. Yeah, but that wasn't on the Daily Show. No, I know, him. I know. But it was around that time when he started to get balls and go on and actually challenge and not and not back down. He stopped backing down. Right when he stopped backing down, that's when I, I was like, "Oh my god, he's amazing! He's amazing!" I think he was good at savers. I think he was good at being silly, and he was good at at the telling telling a bit and then adding on to it. But I don't think he was good at joke delivery as a whole. I think he, I don't think he ever was. I think he learned, he got, I think you maybe you're right in that he got, he started learning his own format and people mm-hmm. started writing for his format. But I think that he, I don't ever fully think that he was a hundred percent. And, and to, to, I will argue against your point is that I feel like once he kind of got ahead, he started, he started being kind of an asshole to people. Well, that's the, yeah, that's true too. Now, look here's the here's here is the dirty little secret. And actually, I just did this the other day on the Sunday. Um, the Daily Show had a big problem and still has a big problem with this, right? Which is and and I'll get to the, the point I'm making in a second. Is I hate hypocrisy. Okay, I hate hypocrisy more than anything. Oh, you're the one. Mm-hmm. No, but there are some people who like will willingly put up with it, look the other way and whatnot, right? Yeah. And one of the things that infuriates me is this Daily Show and the Colbert. What's the late night with Stephen Colbert, or what is that called? The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and yeah, and last week tonight with John Oliver. All shows that make me laugh, by the way. Well, I don't know about the Daily Show anymore, but I'm talking about the Daily Show with John Stewart. And I don't know that the Daily Show is still like this. I'm talking about when I, right now. What I'm talking about specifically under John Stewart. If you think about it, John Stewart. Stephen Colbert and John Oliver, they're all from the same, they're cut from the same cloth. They, John Stewart gave both of them their starts, right? Yeah. They go on and on and on and on. And by the way, I believe their policies. I'm, they, they 100% reflect my political views, right? But they uh-huh. go on and on and about this and liberals and conservative this and conservative that. And, and they hate them and the liberals this and liberals are awesome, blah, blah, blah. And then I, well, here's what I always do. I look at their writing staff and it's always white guys with like two white girls, one white girl thrown in. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, interesting. Well, it's also a numbers game. You know, I will say this. I think that, um, you know, look, I'm not saying that, that there isn't an issue. I'm saying that I think it comes from the bottom, from the top to the bottom. I think that, they need to look out. They need to be willing to breed talent. They need to be willing. A lot of late night shows, you have to hit the ground running. So they can't, they don't hire people who they think that they would have to nurture. And I think with new talent, you have to always be willing to nurture. And I think it's tough to do that. Um, so they go with people that they are, that are recommended mm. or that they can see that, that that'll be able to hit the ground running. And who are people who are mostly in the industry? white men no i you know? know you're right but but what okay so that that's fair right but like you know last week tonight's gonna be on for a while right yeah no i'm not look i'm not saying that 
that you should. I'm just saying that, like, like look, look at the hypocrisy of the blind, um, blind writing packet, which they did for a while. They claimed to do for a while. Now there could be arguments to say, did you really explain do a blind the blind writing, writing packet? So a blind writing packet. So basically, what how people that now this is just coming from somebody who has a very low knowledge of this. So mm-hmm. I mean, do um, any amount of research, and you might find that I'm maybe way off. But from what I've what I've read, a blind writing packet is or a writing packet is what you submit when you want to you know submit to the da- to the to a, a late night show, and mm-hmm. you sum- usually you submit it through your manager, your agent. Okay, yeah. so like let's say I have an agent and I want to submit a writing packet to the Daily Show. Mm-hmm. So I submit a writing packet to the Daily Show. Now, then the agent would call around and see, you know, who if somebody could read it or, or you know, essentially trying to get an interview. It's mm-hmm. like a job interview, yeah. essentially. So then they read the they, they read the packet. They would re- go in for a job interview. Um, a lot of times what helps is that you or, if you already know somebody, a lot of the writers in late night shows get hired because they know somebody. But so that's like, let's the say problem. I, that's the problem. What? That's the problem. That's the problem. So, like, let's say I know somebody. I do actually know somebody who writes for The Daily Show. So, let's say I know I know this woman named Kate. So, let's say uh, I call up Kate and I say, hey, I'm submitting for The Daily you Show. She know, goes, oh. You don't know Michael Costa? Uh, I mean, I knew – I met him a handful of times. Oh, but I know him I wouldn't well, say, actually. Well, like, okay. So, let's say I then I know you know Michael Costa. So, then mm-hmm. I reach out to you and I say, hey, I, you know, I'm running for The Daily Show. And then you reach out to Michael Costa and you say, hey, my really good friend, Lori, who's super mm-hmm. funny and we're best friends. Wait, hold on. Rewind there a second. A person I know. Mm-hmm. And Lori, go ahead. So you're saying my best friend, Lori, who's mm-hmm. super fun, like funnier than me, basically mm-hmm. helped me create my podcast empire. I'm like, gonna... is the reason why people tune in. You know, just like my best friend, I tell all my, we we just like, we cry together. We hold, we hold each other. You know, we're just, we just like, she's my heterosexual soulmate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's submitting for the Daily Show. And Michael Costa goes, oh, because you're uh, <laughs> Humble Pies is the mother of my child. Mm-hmm. Um, you, oh, because I like you. And I, yeah, I remember Lori. She's, she's so, she's so funny. And I remember that you guys were always really great friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to uh, the producers. And so then I go in for a job interview and I, and I get hired, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Now you take all of that away. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now... A blind writing packet is an agent submits or you just submit a writing packet. Mm -hmm. They, everybody reads the writing packet. Nobody does phone calls, quote unquote, who Mm -hmm. knows? Um, Nobody does phone calls and um, they go, okay, put it in piles. So whoever is the better joke writer gets to go in for an interview. Yeah. Okay. So like, let's say I submit my writing packet and it doesn't get picked. Mm-hmm. Well then, I'm that's it, right? Mm-hmm. Presumably, yeah. So, like, let's say that is exactly how they did it. Now, there is there is some, you know, there is a thing where, yeah, probably that's not exactly how they did it, right? Mm-hmm. They probably what probably happened was my writing packet may not have gotten picked, and then they pick somebody from you know North Carolina, and they're like, well, we don't know who the fuck this person is. Um, and then, you know, Michael Koss is like, yeah, we, we blindly pick two people that we don't know them. We don't know them from Adam. And you're like, oh, funny enough. I have a friend whose writing packet didn't get picked. Um, and she's actually my best friend. And, uh, you know, if I was straight, I would marry her. I don't and, know. I, I, okay. Go on with this fantasy world. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, 
then you go, okay, uh, let's relook at her packet. And then I would get, so there is that, but let's just say for all intents and purposes, whoever was picked, whoever had the best writing packet got picked, Mm -hmm. went in for an interview, did well at the interview, got hired. Still from that group, majority of them were white men. Now, what does that tell you? Does that tell you that, oh, white men or men are funnier than women? No. What that tells you is, is that the availability to grow in the industry is ex- almost exclusively available to white men. You're right. White- no, you're right. So what, I, what I'm trying to say is the reason why it is so hard to get hired is a myriad of different things where, but it's because of the, of the engine that it, that has been created people, you need people from the ground up. So what you, what needs to happen is what's been happening with, um, you know, Seth Myers has done this, uh, did this. He started out, he started with new writers. Uh, um, Samantha B started with new writers. Uh, I can't think of her name, but she took over for, um, what's his face. I think her last name Singh. But she started with new writers. You need to start off with new writers who you can grow with, who you can cultivate um, a show with. And I think that is something that is starting to happen and we're seeing it start to happen. But unfortunately, the people who are already established, they can't just backpedal. They can't just go, okay, well, let's take five steps back Mm -hmm. and recreate and redo our entire model. They need people to hit the ground running. No, I understand what you're saying, but the 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 beauty about late night writing, for the most part, you know, because then you have someone like Jimmy Kimmel, where it's like his whole thing is he just hires friends and family, right? Yeah, he hires friends or friends of friends or you know whatever. There's a beauty to that, but also it's frustrating because you can't get in. But um, uh, what I was gonna say though is, but for a lot of these guys, like for instance, I actually did know a black guy who used to write for Last Week Tonight. He doesn't write for them anymore, right? And but the problem is it, it, it is a constantly evolving scene, so they could actually make efforts now to start. I, can, I have to go pretty soon, but like we, they, they could start making efforts now, but it doesn't seem like they, they seem to be making any efforts to start a farm team, so to speak, to get that going. Does that make sense? Where I they agree. can start developing I, it. Because that, that, you know, I that, agree. You know, to be honest with you, when I started undergrad prep, that's, I just went with what I knew. But if I could do it over again, I would do a different organization. And one of those would be, I would completely change it. Maybe I'll start a whole new organization where it's, you know, the reason, a lot of the, the one thing I will say about black people and the black community is that they've done an amazing job getting together and uniting and building what you're talking about, right? And so they have an infrastructure set up for it. Yeah. But I don't feel Latinos have that infrastructure. And so what happened, and this speaks to what you were saying, is do you understand people who aren't Latino or or a person of color don't realize that for a Latino kid, the idea that they could write for television or be a comedian, no matter how funny that that does not enter their brain at all. They think that that only happens to white people, which right now it does, right? That, that you well, might you well do tell have them, that stand-up comedy the Latinos have a very, you know, unique take on, on stand-up comedy as far as, like, how they get people in and stuff. But it yeah. is very insular. It is very insular. And it's hard to break in. But, yeah, but but the problem is, is it's still, it, the insular, the, the insular nature of it is not good because then it's just, they're just seen as Latino comedians, right? And they just play yeah. with each other. 
So there needs to be some sort of old school like studio system kind of thing where like there's a lot of because that was there are a lot of bad things with the old studio system, but one of the good things was there was that sort of farm team mentality, and that's how come Jews got so good at writing movies and jokes and all that because what happened was. Jews started the entertainment business, right? They owned the studios. So then they were going to hire people that, that you know, fit their worldview, which makes sense, right? But then as they were bringing people up, they'd bring other kids up who were also... Because that's who they knew. That's who they interacted with, okay? Yeah. And, you know, that, that's why it got very hard for non... Even for non-Jews to be writers. You know, the white people were the ones on the screen, okay? And... um there isn't any of that nurturing element to it. So there, I think we need to start now nurturing the young Latinos now who are kind of funny and want to be into that and teach them about this and then get them in there so that then they start nurturing the people below them because the, that's not what's happening. I agree. Yeah, so, I anyway. think. But that's the thing is that, you know, it the, the, in order to do that, you would have to essentially change different yeah. things. And I, But I agree that it needs to happen. I mean, something needs to change. You know, because I think that, look, I love Stephen Colbert. I think Stephen Colbert is probably one of the funnier people, one of the funniest people. I think he could rival David Letterman. I think Mm -hmm. he's, in my opinion, he's probably one of the best late night hosts that that have ever existed. Mm -hmm. And I, but I mean, he's an older white guy. And I think he'd be the first to admit that, you know, that that needs to change. Look how many old white guys are late night hosts. I mean, that's just not, that doesn't reflect America. You know, I think we need different, we need different cultures. We need different hosts. I mean, even the the thing that's even uh, depressing about Trevor Noah is that sure, Trevor Noah does stuff where he talks about his, his um, African heritage and he does that, which is great, but he doesn't, I feel like, I don't feel like he, it feels like to me, like the, his perspective is not his own. Yeah. He no, con- he's constantly talking about it, like through the funnel of a white man's opinion. And it's like, that's not your opinion though. Yeah. But what's so funny is when they hired Trevor Noah, it's the reason I stopped watching the daily shows. You could so tell when they hired him that it was the corporate powers that be at comedy central that chose him. And he fit that corporate. Well, I heard that John Stewart specifically picked him. That seems very odd. Because he so he's good looking, he's black, he's international, and that made sense because at the time, Daily Show, maybe still is, was very popular in other parts of the world. It wasn't just an American show. Anyway, I gotta go. Um, you're welcome right. to stay, Laurie. But uh, I gotta go too. I gotta go. Do? Not be here. Um. All right. Well, that was this that old chestnut. I gotta go take a nap. I'm exhausted from talking shop. Thank you so much to Joe for ending this early. And uh, thank <laughs> you to you guys. 15 minutes later than I wanted to. <laughs> thank you to you guys for um, for being a part of the show. Maybe we should do a, a thing where we talk about stand-up and we talk about comedy. Because people, it seems like people are loving it. So. We could have other comic times. Yeah, that'd be fun. All right. All right, All right bye. Bye. This has been a Rockin' Camp production.